Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. People say, well, you can't change the world. And yeah, I agree with that. When you make a difference for someone, for one person, that is one person's whole world change. So you can't change the world, just one world at a time. Eleven years ago, Noor Mastura climbed to the roof of a 14-story building and stood teetering on the ledge. Tired of being hungry, having no home, and constantly struggling just to survive, Noor was ready to put an end to her suffering. Then, a voice in her head said, no, not like this. So she stepped back from the ledge and left, determined to alter her course. And so she did, finding a stable home and getting her life on track. Not long after, she resolved to do what she could to ensure that no one else suffered the same fate. In 2013, she started her first nonprofit, Back to Basics, which delivers free groceries to Singapore's underprivileged families and homebound elderly. Two years later, Noor, a devout Muslim, co-founded Interfaith Youth Circle to encourage dialogue and understanding between religions. At a sensitive time when ISIS and the threat of terrorism was driving mistrust and animosity between communities. Today, Noor is an award-winning activist and community organizer who has taken it upon herself to create the world that she wants to see. In this episode, she talks to Genty editor Lee Williamson about feminism within Islam, learning when to walk away, and why community is the key to humanity. Here's her conversation. It seems from the stuff uh, that I've heard from you in the past and some stuff that I've read about you that like your upbringing shaped a lot of what you ended up doing in Singapore. Um, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing and how that did influence what you ended up, the work you ended up doing? Basically, uh, you know, born and raised in Singapore. And uh, I think the, the main thing that happened to to us was, uh, to my family, was, was the divorce that happened uh, between my parents. And... You know, before that, everything was just smooth sailing. And in fact, we were, I would say we were above average in terms of um, the economic sense of the word. Um, but yeah, so when the divorce happened, that's when everything kind of just went uh, downhill, probably in, in every way. And uh, my mom obviously took all of us in uh, under her custody. And, and that's four girls and uh, a single parent. And we didn't, you know, we had to sell. So my parents sold the matrimonial home and we were basically without a home for five years. So we were stuck in staying in different relatives houses. I was 17 years old at that time. And uh, that was just me just finishing my GCSEs. And so the next step is, well, the next logical step would have been to go into a poly or uh, a JC, which I wasn't eligible for, but like a poly at least. Uh, to get a diploma but in that situation because it was so financially um, difficult 
and especially a huge burden on my mum, I decided to help her out as well. So that meant making the one of the hardest decisions in my life, which is to stop uh, my education, at least for a while. And and then, you know, got into all sorts of different jobs to try and somehow, you know, help the family financially. What kind of toll did, did that take on you mentally and physically and everything? Um, well, I think, I mean, it, it was hard. It was really hard. I, I was looking back now and knowing what I know about mental health now, I was definitely in depression. Um, my mom was in depression. My sister, um, she's the same as well. I mean, we all struggled and sometimes we struggled alone because we didn't want to burden, you know, the other family member. Um, and I was, um, twice I was, suicidal um so literally actually attempted suicide uh you know went to the top of a building climbed over the railings um and stood there and it was just one step away from me and plunging down like 14 levels um so so i think you know mentally and um emotionally it was it was really hard i'm sure i'm sure and thank you for sharing that it must be difficult yeah. to relive what was it that made you step back from the ledge honestly it was so one of the things that i've also realized so from young it's i've i'm very i would say i'm spiritually connected you know and and i think that's been a huge driving force as well in in the way i think about things so when i stood there it was literally a this voice that said um not voice as we know it like you know me talking to you right now and hearing your voice, but but just this kind of you know feeling or gut or whatever it is you know um, that said not like this, not now, you know and 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 it was so hard to actually step away from from the ledge because I mean for all I know this is my life right now. Me stepping back from the ledge is going back to the same life. So what does this voice you know what does it even mean? Because I know it's going to be the same old thing, um, but it it was that absolute belief and just trust that I don't know. You know, okay, let's see how this turns out. If I step back, let's see what happens. Um, was that like a pivotal, like turning point that that uh, made you decide, okay, uh, what can I do to bring value to to my life? I can help others. So interesting, you mentioned that because at that point when I actually attempted suicide, it was only. Two years later that we actually got a, a stable home. So it, things actually became worse after that, you know, but, but I never turned back like that wasn't an option anymore. It was just about how do we eventually get out of the situation? Um, and, and when we were in the very worst state where it was stable food was just, you know, two minutes, um, instant noodles was when I told myself, cause, cause you know, you go to sleep. And for the first time, experiencing what being hungry feels like, you know, and not just hungry where like, oh, but, you know, I'm too lazy to go to the kitchen and get food or like, I'll, you know, it's all right, I'll make myself something tomorrow when I wake up. It was, there's no food in the house. There's actually no food in the house. And um, and just knowing that and knowing you can't do it. And so sleeping, I think, with that feeling and it's one of the worst feelings in the world to to actually experience. Um, so that was when I told myself, you know, when I get out of this situation, 
this is one thing that I need to do something about because in the area that we lived in, because the last stage was us living in what we call um, interim housing in Singapore. And so that's really like the, you know, you have neighborhoods that are built um, housing people in such situations. So the community itself is, is not a very healthy environment. And um, and you have so many kids in that environment, so many kids. So I'm thinking if I'm feeling this, but at least, you know, I have the maturity to kind of deal with my situation. But there are kids going through this, not even knowing why they have to go through this. Um, so that that was the point where I made the decision when I get out. I have to do something about this. And then you you did in founding Back to Basics, right? So Back to Basics delivered you delivered free groceries to underprivileged families and homebound older people, um, and and anyone who dealt with food insecurity in some way, in the way that you did as well. Um, this started quite organically, though, right? It, am, I, am I right in thinking you didn't say, "Hey, I'm going to start a charity and it's going to do this, this, this"? No, definitely not. Yeah, I was just like, "Let me just start a Facebook page first. And the thinking behind that was, if I know anyone who needs help in the community, I'm going to promote it on the Facebook page so people know someone needs help, and I'll basically be the middle person to get the help to this person. That was literally how it started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I know that you're not as involved uh, in it anymore, um, although you co-founded it. What are some of the kind of proudest uh, uh, achievements or like, I don't know, memories of when you really made an impact that you look back on now? Little things like um, one of my most profound memories would be I was invited to a girl's home to give a talk on uh, the work I do. Um, and really at that time it was more of because I was in a Singapore Airlines and I was working as a flight stewardess. And so, you know, me coming in my uniform and, and all of that stuff, talking to the girls, um, and they were all really excited. So part of it was also then to share about Back to Basics. And I did. And then halfway during the talk, one of the girls actually raised her hand and she stood up and I thought she had a question. And I was like, yeah, go for it. But she said, um, oh, I, I didn't know that you were, you know, the, the person who was involved in Back to Basics because before I was in girls' home, me and my um, siblings, like, you know, our parents were not around and the only food we had was from a group that kept coming to deliver groceries to us every month called Back to Basics. And I never got to thank them properly, but, um, you know, thank you. Wow. And, you know, that was... Literally, I'm talking about it now and I, you know, it, it brings tears to my eyes. Like it, it was so, 
it was it was that was to me like um oh god but you know that was that was like everything that we struggled with you know starting it um it was all worth it at that moment it was all worth it incredible yeah incredible um do you want to take a moment are you okay <laughs> no i'm fine i'm fine right. i mean and clearly um founding your first charity wasn't enough and then a couple of years after back to basics you founded another non-profit right in in interfaith youth circle interfaith, yeah. um and the purpose of that was to encourage dialogue between religions um what needs yeah, specifically between uh youth with, young people with young people so yeah. that's kind of what i yeah. what i wanted to get into is it what need Obviously, we all need dialogue between religions, between diff- different ethnic groups. Everyone needs dialogue. But, like, what specific need were you were you answering, and what were the obstacles that you were trying to overcome in your community? Yeah. So, so again, that was, you know, from something I personally experienced, which was just at that time in 2014, end of 2014, it was when, you know, we first, that year was when we first heard of ISIS and, uh, you know, and all the things that I was trying to do. And, um, yeah basically hijacking an entire religion that I love and um, and committing atrocities in its name. And uh, and so end 2014 was when, you know, it got really bad to a point where they were killing Christians just on site. Um, and just seeing that and seeing how, um, so what I, what I did was I actually, because it was very close to Christmas, so I actually penned an open letter to Christians in my community um, and to all the churches in Singapore. And basically it was a letter pledging solidarity and saying, this is not our way. This is not who we are. And, you know, we stand with you. And that, la- that letter went viral. It was online and it went viral. And, um, but, and I, and I actually emailed it to all the churches in Singapore. Uh, and one of the emails, majority of them came back absolutely positive. Um, in fact, all of them except one person who I'm sure in her intentions were positive but she said at the end of it when she signed off she actually said oh you know um and she was holding a very um she was holding a executive board member kind of posting position but at the end of it when she signed off she said you know Nora if you didn't uh, send this letter I would have thought I would have assumed that everyone in Singapore actually every Muslim in Singapore actually condoned um the these actions and I was thinking, no, like, are you serious? I just couldn't digest that. And I thought, okay, I need to start getting involved in like this work of like bridging. And I didn't even know the word interfaith. Like I didn't even know that word, like there was a language for it. Um, so I started Googling, started looking at things and everything that I looked at in the Singapore community at that time, uh, in 2015, uh, that was, a lot of it were inaccessible. So every time when you want to talk about race or religion in Singapore, it's kind of concentrated within the academic circle. And so you have to be part of a university or a professor or, you know, just basically in that zone for you to be invited to these kind of talks. And um, and then anything outside of that, if it was meant for the rest of the public, it was very, very diluted to um, let's break fast together or let's play sports together um, and not actually talking about the controversial and, you know, the deep things. So there's no middle ground. And I thought, you know, like something needs to be done about this. I drafted 
you know, interfaith youth circle, what it was going to do. And, and one of the main things was actually scriptural reasoning, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. So it's where you go into the heart of all religions, which is the scriptures. But you pick up, you pick up topics from it and you then sit in a facilitated uh, group uh, circle of people from different religious backgrounds and you just reflect on the text together. And, um, and it was amazing because, um, what actually happens is you as a Muslim get to see how a someone from a Christian background or from a Hindu background, like you get to see through their lens how your religion is viewed. And then you can, you know, help them with that lens or, you know, or and if it's just something that something they observe, then you now understand this is why they view it that way. You know, um, basically an insight to their world and, and vice versa. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I really love about scriptural reasoning is the fact that it focuses on the differences, because we all know that no one fights over things that we are similar or we have things in common with. That's not where the fight occurs. It's when we are different that people start fighting or arguing. And so scriptural reasoning is all about um, disagreeing better. So not even agree to disagree, but disagreeing better. Right, disagreeing, uh, yeah, with, with with an even temper. Disagreeing, yeah, disagreeing even. in in, de- in in debates, not even academic debate, but in like polite conversation rather than with with guns. Yeah, yeah, and at the end of it, people, you know, again, Singaporean food is, is like a huge thing. So we have food, you know, they they break out, and you see the people who disagreed with one another completely and utterly, and they're sitting down having pizzas and you know drinking like peach tea. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, that sounds absolutely incredible. It also sounds that community is key to absolutely everything that you do. Um, what do you mm. think uh, is the power of, of community to, to heal, uh, to kind of move us forward as, uh, as, a, as a humanity? I mean, I think, it's, I think we are literally the driving force. We are, you know, all of us, like the... Um, how else do you how else do you do it like it's because of us that goodness that exists and because of us that evil exists as well so um it really is up to us to kind of you know change things and drive things forward and stop stop it with our own hands if you can um yeah i think that 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 power of humanity or even power of absolute evil it literally is within us that's that's scary to think that yeah i mean it doesn't matter if you're hitler or gandhi they're human beings and that capacity for immense evil or uh or or doing good and inspiring uh, millions to do good is within each of us yeah um yeah like you said on the phone when we spoke a couple months ago you don't need to be oprah to actually do something you just need to make the right decision you just need to make the right decisions huh yeah no you don't you don't i think um you know and that's the thing everyone in one way or another i mean you, you know the word activist is it's you know it's been taken to mean different things but really everyone is is an advocate um and advocate doesn't just mean you can advocate to do bad things and you can advocate to do good things and everyone is as long as you if you have ever stood up for yourself in your life, that's self-advocacy. You've done something. And not even knowing that you standing up in front of, like, say, you experienced harassment at work, for example, and you stood up for yourself. Your colleagues seeing that, that's self-advocacy. But also them knowing that, hold on, if she can do it, I can do it too. 
you know this this power of um it, it's a ripple effect so it, it's what then you put you whether it's you know you put it into good things or you do bad things with it you have a new initiative as well right which you're launching later this year um bravely uh, being bravely woman um can you tell us a little bit about that? It's an online space for young women. Um, you mentioned to me before. Um, what's the focus? Uh, what are you hoping to, to achieve with, with Being Bravely Woman? Yes. So um, Being Bravely Woman, it, it is an online safe space. Uh, we have a blog. We have got an Instagram page. And really the focus is for minority uh, women, specifically from Muslim uh, and brown communities. So I realized that you, when you... Um, personally, so I'm Muslim and brown, uh, and I realized that in the world of, um, you know, where women's rights and feminism and all of this stuff is concerned, um, really all the time, with the majority of the um, content is really Western feminism. What suits uh, Western feminism? Whereas for people who have, you know, very conserv- conservative backgrounds, um, but at the same time deserve these, like, equal rights you need to have a different narrative when you're trying to reach out to them because, you know, they don't, they can't see themselves as part of the Western feminism movement. Um, Can you give me an example? So, so for example, we have, um, I don't know if you're familiar, I don't know if I can say this on podcasts, but really, um, you have like Free the Nipples movement. You can absolutely say that. that. Yeah, I have. Okay. So that's kind of what I was thinking of the whole kind of burning the bra thing. I can't imagine that going over well in yeah, the Muslim world. Is it that kind yeah, of thing? So if you're talking to Muslim women and you tell them, Look, guys, you know, come on, let's free the nipple. No one's, no one's. If that is, you know, what you're selling as feminism, you're not going to get any, anyone. Um, so it's, it's very different conversations that take place there. Um, and, and you need to, you need to be able to carry that through, but still talk about feminism. And also, you know, being in now, when I speak about women and all of that, I see that, you know, even within the world of feminism, really what you're trying to achieve is just um, allowing women to choose. That's really the main thing. Just letting them have the agency to choose. So if I choose to wear the hijab, let me wear that proudly. If I choose not to wear the hijab, let me not wear it proudly. You know, that really is the thing. But, you know, then there's that imbalance, isn't it? Because you have Western feminism, which is all about you know, take it all, freeing yourself and all of that stuff. And then you have Muslim, which is, no, 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 putting it on empowers you, right? So complete opposites. And I think what I want to do is just have that middle ground where it's about your choice. And, um, and of course, uh, apart from that, I think the main thing is really to talk about the controversial and taboo issues that Muslim and brown communities, um, especially for women, are not being, you know, taken on by Muslim uh, religious or community leaders, like topics like um, sexual abuse or harassment or domestic violence, um, you know, things like this, even even as simple as consent, right? Um, because as much as you think for Muslim, so in Islam, you know, you don't have sex until you get married, like that's the 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 law. But really, you see your youth today, you see. You know, there's a lot of people engaging in premarital sex. And the thing to do is not to completely not talk about it and keep driving that, you know, that is haram, that is not allowed. Someone needs to start talking about consent because if they're already doing it, you know, 
let's talk about how to do like you know like how can you still save yourself or how can you still do you know what i mean like so it's funny what you yeah, mentioned that so, sounds so much like something that you could talk about in interfaith youth circle because it's the exact same conversation that christians have with regards to like you know who are pushing abstinence and abstinence doesn't work and so mm-hmm. so many christians are also reticent to have the conversation about consent and safe sex and so on because they want to pretend they wanted to say no it shouldn't happen at all exactly and that's not the way i mean that's not the way that you build or strengthen your communities it's not by pushing things under the rug and just thinking okay it's going to solve itself Mm. but feminism is about the freedom to choose but it is also about having a level playing field if you choose to do something that is slightly against the grain right Oh, and that's something that absolutely. you know I think is a difficult conversation to have sometimes in in the Muslim world. Yes, yes, I would say so. I would say things are improving. I mean, if I were to compare things like even ten years ago, um, I would say right now there's definitely you definitely see that movement coming from um, majority, of course, from Muslim women. They're driving the conversations and they're trying to push uh, that front. Um, but you also see. Um, male allies that are starting to now show themselves because there's one thing in pledging your support in private but really what we need is your public support you know because that's where the influence is so um and and you're starting to see that a lot more now what's the hardest lesson you've learned in all the initiatives that you've founded and all the work that you've done what's been what was the most difficult thing to, to learn or the biggest knockback one of the hardest things I had to do was to actually um, walk away from interfaith youth circle. I would say that was something really, really hard. Um, not that I would have, you know, I mean, for me, so like back to basics right now, where I'm not a main part of it anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, I co-founded it, but right now I'm really just sitting on a, you know, consultancy level. Um, and it's my sister and the rest of the team that's actually running it. And that's how I would have liked to, you know, because the, at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about the organization and what it does. And so even after I'm gone, I want it to still be doing the work that it does, whatever it is. And and that would have been how I would have liked to walked away from it in that sense. But with IYC, it was um, it was something I had to literally walk away from. Why, you know? why is that? And, and that was because I think... Um, I guess when the people you work with, um, I think I think trust is really important. Like trust is absolutely important. And when my intentions um, are being doubted, you know, like why I do the work I do becomes, you know, um, there's doubt in people's mind or or they think, oh, she's got a different agenda. Maybe she's doing this because she wants to join politics, for example. Um, you know, and 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 then that's why this is her you know, you know, this is her her tool for for, for trying to get into politics. People thought, um, so people um, in part of the program will thought you were kind of self aggrandizing? Yeah, basically. Basically. And um, you know, and, and so for me it's like, well, in that case then IYC is yours you know do do what you if, if you because by me staying like for me I think it, it's very much an integrity issue so if you think that this is what's propelling me to do the work I do or 
giving me the position I'm given, which I don't know what that is. But if you think that's the case, then take it. It's yours, you know. Um, and and you know, I'm I'm just happy to know that because that's a very personal thing. I'm sure it's 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 more on a personal level. Um, but I'm sure the work itself and the people right now running it, like they're committed to the work itself, and that for me is enough. Just to know that. You know, just to know that the work will continue, that to me is enough. Um, that must have been an incredibly difficult decision, uh, even if you knew it was the right decision. Oh, it was extremely hard. I think it was extremely hard because, um, yeah, it, it, it was. It was. But I would say that was one of the hardest. Um, and, and, and I think that was also like a lesson for me, I guess, to know that... Um, at the end of the day, you really can just do what you know is right by you. And people are, no matter what you do, no matter how right you do it, there's always going to be people who are going to doubt your intentions. There's always going to be people who are going to, you know, there's always going to be, and sometimes these people can be your own. And, and to just be aware of that as you and, and just hold firm to your intentions of starting, like your why, basically, um, that has to be enough for you. You can't expect anything more. Indeed. What if you could go back and give yourself some advice when you're first starting out in 2013 in like community work? Is that what you would tell yourself? Or would it be something else? Um, you would give your younger self some advice. No, I would tell it. I'll say, listen. You might want to rethink this whole thing because it's going to be incredibly hard. If you start now, you basically can't stop. So, because you know, like I can't tell you, Emily, how many times like I've literally cried to my husband, like, why, why am I even doing this? You know, like why, why am I? Why do I even care? I just want to live in like a faraway, you know, forest in a cottage with like you know, real fire that starts with like firewood and just have a big library of books and have tea and have like dogs and have a farm. And like I have the whole thing planned out in my head, basically. Um, you know, like, why do I have to do this? And, and it's, um, you know, and, and, and many times I've just sat down and just asked myself, why? Um, and only, only recently, because I had to write um, an article for a book. Um, and part of it was actually, speaking about this and I realized you know what it's it's really it's this innate belief that that I feel um accountable you know not responsible because I can't be responsible for people you know going around trying to kill other people like that but accountable so after it's done what can we do about it or what can we do to prevent it or what can we do to stop it while it's happening these things we can do and for me like if you can do it, why are you not doing it? You know, what, like, there's no other kind of explanation. I can, I see it happening and I know what I can do. At the very least, at the very least, I can talk about it and say how this is not right and at least influence some people in their way of thinking and knowing, yes, this is not right. That's at the very least. And I should do that. Um, Absolutely, and you are doing it, and uh, and now you have to- chosen to go down this path that you said, like you said, you when you were younger, you could have gone down two roads, uh, one of which was uh, w- was the path that you went down, one of which was probably a quieter, slightly easier life. Um, 
now that you're you're in the position you're in, what does success look for you over the next look like for you over the next ten to twenty years? What is it that you want to achieve? What is it that you want to do? Well, I haven't really thought about that to be honest. <laughs> um, to me, I mean, so I've, success to me is um, you know I don't. There's no. It's not something to. Uh, there's no goal. But really, if I look at my life, and if I was to think where are the moments I felt most successful or I felt like I was winning um you know it was it was when when I saw the difference the work I started uh made like the difference it made you know that to me like I said you know that girl who stood up and said thank you for you know giving us you know giving us groceries all this time and and we lift off that um that to me was that to me was winning. That was winning the work, you know, the work I was doing. Um, so, yeah. So, so I said, like, I actually wrote about this because what I realized is this world, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're all, you know, it, it's just you're you're going to continuously have people who are constantly going to do. I don't like to use the word, but basically, simplistically, evil. They're continuously going to do bad things and you know they they're going to do what they do so in a world where you know okay so evil's basically going to exist till the end of time right um there's nothing you can do there's no nothing anyone can do to kind of say all right stop let's just delete evil once and for all that's not going to happen right hashtag delete so evil in a world where you, it's not going to it's not going yeah, it's not going to so, be an so overnight thing it's not what like i said it's not yeah. ever going to happen and, and I, yeah exactly it's never going to happen that's the reality you know, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but there is the reality. So, so you're basically fighting a battle. If, if the battle is about good over evil, that's not going to happen. Evil is just going to exist, right? So you're fighting a battle. You already lost. We've already lost this battle. There's no good's not going to triumph over evil. But so, so then, you know, it made me so then what does, what would winning look like to you? If you know you're fighting a battle that you already lost, what would winning look like in the battle? And that's in the little things that we do. It's in the, it's in the things that we see and we can immediately do something about it. You know, that's, um, like, you know, the starfish story. Mm-hmm. So, so the starfish story is where there's a girl on the beach and, and, you know, it's rows and rows and rows of starfish all over the shore. And she basically comes and she starts, you know, they're drying out. So if they're out in the sun, they basically dry out and they die. So she takes the starfish and she starts throwing it back into the ocean. And then people keep coming up to her and asking, you know, what are you doing? Like, you can't possibly save all the starfish in the world. Like, it's literally all the way, like, as far as your eyes can see. And so she just looked at the, she, and everyone that comes on, she just looks at them, takes this one starfish, throws it back into the ocean and says, well, it made a difference to that one. And literally, that is what winning looks like for us. It's not changing the world. I think people say, well, you can't change the world. You can change yourself. And yeah, I agree with that. But really, it's, when you make a difference for someone, for one person, that is one person's whole world change. So you can't change the world, just one world at a time. Wow. Uh, that's, I don't know what to say to that beyond bravo. I, I, could, I couldn't put it better myself. So why is it that you think your work has had so much more of an impact than the, you know, I'm sure however many dozens or hundreds of other nonprofits there are in Singapore that also do great work? But yours has really resonated with a lot of people. Why do you think that is? I really, really don't know um, why. I, I, I have absolutely no idea. What I do know is that um, 
the work I do and the way I live my life. Like, there's no, um, it, it's not, it's, it's not any different. You know, I, I absolutely hold through to what I say. I mean, I'm saying that even if they take away all these awards for some reason, they take away, I'm still going to be doing this work that I do. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to stop me in any way. Um, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, these awards and all of these things, these are just bonus, you know. Um, I have no idea. To answer your question simply, I don't know. I don't know. But what I, what I do know is I, after this, all these years of doing advocacy work, for new, like people who want to start doing it, people who want to start building communities, I now have a foolproof plan of how you can completely succeed in doing that. And I'm, I'm, that's what I do now. Like I share those tools and tell you how to do that. Right, right, right. Like a toolkit, like a handbook for wannabe like advocates, yeah. activists. Yeah. Incredible. Yes. I want to see that handbook. Uh, and I think everybody on this podcast, I mean, this has been an audio version of that handbook. I think, you know, I, I'm sure everybody listening to this is going to be super inspired to go and make their own, to throw their own, um, starfish into the ocean. So thank you so much, Noel. Absolutely. I hope so. Thank you, Lee. It was great. It was great talking to you. That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please do leave us a rating and review while you're there. Gen T connects young leaders across Asia. And if you know someone who would resonate with these stories and take something from them, please do share the podcast and help bring them into our growing community of changemakers. You can also follow Generation T on Instagram. We're at at Generation T underscore Asia and Facebook. And check out our website, GenerationT.Asia, for more on the people, businesses, and ideas shaping Asia's future. See you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.